This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. I had to stop myself from saying Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, the fifth day of January 2022. Beautiful morning here in Hayesville. Temperatures uh, right around 40 degrees. Uh, I know uh, you guys are expecting some snow up in the northeast. I feel bad. Did you see the thing that happened out on the Virginia highways? Uh, on I-95, a backup for 45 miles. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those things. I've done so much traveling back and forth. There are stretches on the interstates where if something happens, if there's an accident or something like that, and you don't, you know, there's stretches, folks out there that, you know, up in the northeast where, where I came from, where, you know, we're used to exits being like every mile, right? Well, down when you travel, there are times that there'll be no exits for two, three, four miles, and uh, you get stuck out there, and there is nowhere to go, especially in the middle of a snowstorm. So those folks, man, I tell you what, that that cannot be a lot of fun. But uh, uh, you know, I think we over dramatize it sometimes. It wasn't like the temperatures were fifty below zero or anything like that. And oh my God, I didn't have any food for twenty four hours. Look, we can live without food for twenty four hours if we have to. I'm, I'm not trying to minimize it, but uh, and, and you know what? If it were me, I'd be whining probably just as much as everybody else. So. Uh, let's, uh, let's uh, move on. Hey, look, I want to start this morning. There's been some, uh, quite a bit of feedback and, and some reactions to major league baseball network, uh, and essentially Rob Manfred firing Ken Rosenthal yesterday, uh, from the network because of his critical comments that he had made about Rob Manfred, both in the, uh, the handling of the COVID, uh, problems when it first started and then mostly about, uh, the labor negotiations, how they seem j- disingenuous at best. And uh, showing how Rob Manfred has a thin skin. And uh, so Ken Rosenthal pays the price. What, what the interesting take I had, I, I saw on this, um, and, and I'm not sure that I do uh, completely agree, um, but a blogger wrote. Uh, uh, I can't remember his last. I think his uh, last name was Bear. Uh, I saw the link on my uh, the cup of coffee. Uh, Craig Calcaterra, uh, a pretty good blog that he writes every morning. Again, uh, politically, we're not necessarily in the same sphere, but he makes some pretty good points. And he linked to this article uh, yesterday. And the, 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 the take that he had on this is actually that Ken Rosenthal being fired is actually, in the long run, a good thing. Now, on the face of it, you go, well, what are you talking about? That, that, sound, that sounds ludicrous. Ken Rosenthal is a guy that people have come to respect. They like him. You know, a guy that is going to end up someday in the broadcaster's wing or the, uh, the writer's wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame. There's no question about that. Um, 
So what did he mean by that? And his take on it was this. It's a good thing because now people will understand that MLB.com and the Major League Baseball Network are nothing more than mouthpieces for the commissioner's office. And, you know, I guess, and his point is, look, we all, we should have all known this. It was Major League Baseball that started MLB.com, that started the MLB Network, just like there's the NFL Network, you know, all that kind of – so we shouldn't be surprised, I guess, that baseball expects their people to kind of toe the line – and to not be controversial and to make sure that we're not going against the talking points that the commissioner of baseball wants to put out there. And now by Ken Rosenthal, a guy who is uh, has been critical. He, look, he's not, he's not in, in attack mode on MLB. I'm sure that uh, on the MLB network he has had to censor himself many times, but he is also a guy that is a fairly balanced reporter and has said some things that aren't necessarily what Rob Manfred would want out there. Well, by getting rid of him, now there is no should be no doubt in anybody's mind that if you want the real story, MLB.com and the Major League Baseball Network are not the places that you should go because you are not going to get unbiased news and Ken Rosenthal's departure makes that very clear and if you are any of the other guys on that network if you're John Heyman uh, you know another guy who is you know whether you like him or not and whether you think he's a shill for the commissioner's office or not if you're John Heyman or other commentators like that you have to think twice now about whether you want to continue to be connected with the network because does that hamper your credibility as an unbiased reporter? And the answer to that is, yeah, probably. Look, if you're Harold Reynolds or you're Al Leiter or you know, you're Pedro Martinez or any of the other former players that appear on Major League Baseball Network, you are there for game analysis. You are there to talk about what is going on mostly. You're there to talk about what happens in the game, what players are doing, what should they have done, what shouldn't they have done, those kinds of things. You're fairly safe, right? I mean, that's because you're there for one reason. It doesn't mean that they don't occasionally get into you know the labor things and, and everything else that's going on. But by and large, you are there to analyze games. The people who now have a credibility issue are the studio hosts, the guys like. And if you look, maybe they don't care. Maybe Matt Faskersian doesn't care if he's seen as a shill for the commissioner's office. You know, maybe Brian Kenny doesn't care if he's a shill for the commissioner's office. You know, any or Greg Amsinger, any of these guys that are the studio hosts, do they care? As long as they're getting their check every week, they probably don't. But guys that consider themselves journalists, the John Heymans, 
the Jeff Passons, although he doesn't appear on Major League Baseball Network, but but anybody who considers himself a journalist that continues to appear on MLB.com or the Major League Baseball Network, you have to be concerned that your message or your opinion is not invalidated simply because you're there. It doesn't mean, for instance, if John Heyman reports something or John Heyman says something that it's not true, the problem is is now people are going to look at these out these media outlets that are controlled by the league and say, "Eh, it's John Heyman. I can't I can't, you know, what does he know? You know, he's just there to 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 toe the company line." So if you're John Heyman, you know, do you think about that? The problem is that the difference between a guy like John Heyman or a guy like Joel Sherman, now Joel Sherman's a writer for a newspaper, but I am sure that the money that he gets, the additional money he gets for being on the Major League Baseball Network is helpful to him. Ken Rosenthal doesn't need that. He is a very high-profile guy. He makes a lot of money from Fox Sports being their in-game reporter. Uh, he makes good money from The Athletic being their, their lead baseball writer. Uh, you know, he'll be fine. But some of these other guys that, that you know, may make a living writing for newspapers, etc., you know, the additional income for them may be an important thing. The question then becomes, is your integrity or is I guess integrity isn't necessarily the right word, but is the potential harm to your message worth being on the network or writing for MLB.com? It's a good question. Fair question. Look, I've said all along, I'm not a Rob Manfred fan. I've made that very clear on this show. I still think the guy doesn't even like baseball. You know, honest honest to God. So at the end of the day, uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised by this. But I think it is a fair question to ask, you know, if, if we should even be bothering you know, and I'll look. I watch the Major League Baseball Network all the time. You know, with Hall of Fame coverage and game coverage, and uh, you know, I watch it all the time. But I watch it for the analysis and the game coverage. I don't watch it, you know, for you know, hard hitting news about what's going on in baseball. You know what? You know where I go for that? I go to the Athletic. I'm actually a paid subscriber to the Athletic. And I think that it is uh, money well spent if you are trying to keep up with what is going on in baseball. Truly what is going on without the concern of is the writer being censored. Or I go to the Boston Globe. And there was questions, and I mentioned this yesterday, there were questions with the Boston Globe originally about whether, how how unbiased they could afford to be with the fact that the owners of the Boston Red Sox own the Boston Globe. But it, it to me, and there are people that will say otherwise, but I believe that the Red Sox ownership has not tried to uh, stifle what goes on at the Boston Globe. Now, I may be wrong, and uh, Pete Abraham is a good friend of mine, the beat writer for the Boston Red Sox. He's never going to tell me, as you know, as long as I've known Pete, he's never going to tell me if he has to be careful. But from what I've read 
and what you can read, they have been pretty, at times, pretty brutal on their assessment of the Red Sox, and, and they have said things about the ownership and about some of the moves that they have made. And as far as I can tell, nobody's gotten fired for it. So I go to the Globe or I go to the Athletic. That's where I go for my news. You know, if I want analysis of the games and, you know, what what's going wrong with this pitcher or what's going wrong with this hitter or what happened on this play, I'll go to the MLB Network and watch it because, you know, they've got, you know, some guys that, that know their stuff, some guys that were great players that to help you analyze this stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm more likely to go there for that. The true news, I go elsewhere. But anyway, the point is, is that for anybody else that was thinking that, you know, the MLB network was a bastion of journalism or MLB.com is some unbiased thing for journalism, there should be no doubt in anybody's mind now that it's not, period. So fair point, fair point. Chad Finn, uh, in the Boston Globe this morning, had some things to say about Rob Manfred and about what a mistake it was, and you know a lot of the same stuff that I've said. Uh, but I thought this other blog um, uh, that I read saying that you know it just should open people's eyes as to what those outlets truly are. I think is probably more on point here. Um, all right, so next thing I want to get to, I saw this this morning. Um, Aaron Rodgers is a very polarizing figure in the NFL. Uh, and if you've listened to some of my comments and, and uh, talks with Dan Zampano when he comes on weekly, I said, look, I don't think Aaron Rodgers will ever win the MVP again because of what he did this year. Not, not, and it, not just because he lied about being vaccinated, but the way that he lied, the way that he continued to try to blow smoke up people's butts, and his defiant attitude about it, basically saying, you know, get the hell over it. Um, and acting like a jerk, basically. Um, and look, we all know he marches to the beat of his own drummer, but you know, he had already kind of damaged his brand and his reputation a little bit with the, the nonsense that went on in the off season with Willie come back, you know, are the Packers dissing him, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the, you know, then the COVID thing kind of piled on top of it. Um, so I didn't think he would ever win another MVP. His performance on the field, however, will tell you differently. Is he the best player in the league right now? Is he the MVP of the league? Uh, Look, he is certainly, if not the MVP, he is in the top two or three. Um, But one of the voters for the MVP, a guy who has a vote, a guy by the name of Hub Arkush, went on uh, 670 The Score in Chicago yesterday and said, I'm not voting for Aaron Rodgers. Now, the Associated Press, who runs the MVP voting, and uh, says that, you know, that, that the only rule that they have is that you can't disclose who you're voting for until uh, the award has been announced. So Hub Arkush can't say, hey, I voted for Aaron Rodgers or I voted for you know XYZ until it's actually announced. But there are no the, – the AP doesn't say you can't say who you're not voting for. And Arkush even says, I'm probably pushing the envelope a little bit here by telling you I'm not voting for Aaron Rodgers. 
Now, why is he not voting for Aaron Rodgers? Well, this is great. I'm going to read this. He says, I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your team and your organization and your fan base the way you did and be the most valuable player. Has he been the most valuable on the field? Yeah, you could make that argument. But I don't think he is clearly that much more valuable than Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup or maybe even Tom Brady. So from where I sit, the rest of it is why he's not going to be my choice. Do I think he's going to win it? Probably. Uh, a lot of voters don't approach it the way I do, but others do who I've spoken to. And he said he can guarantee, he said, I, I can guarantee you I am not the only person that won't vote for Aaron Rodgers. And, of course, people were losing their minds and saying, well, he should lose his vote. He should, you know, uh, he shouldn't be allowed to vote for, for MVP if he's going to come out and say stuff like this. Look, this is a very similar argument that we have every year in baseball. When we have writers that say, I am not going to vote for XYZ because of XYZ, be it performance-enhancing drugs, uh, be it domestic violence allegations, be it uh, the image that you are a cancer in the locker room, the fact that you don't like to talk to the press. Look, that's what kept Jim Rice out of the Hall of Fame for years is because he was surly with the press. And we have writers that will, you know, hold a grudge. Now, uh, Hub Arkush isn't, he doesn't have a necessarily a grudge against Aaron Rodgers. It's not like Aaron Rodgers attacked him or wouldn't talk to him or anything like that. It's just Arkush just looks at it and says, look, if you're the MVP, you're being held up as the premier player in football. And to me, if you're not the premier citizen in football, you shouldn't be the MVP. The difference here is that in the Baseball Writers Association for for the Hall of Fame for baseball, there kind of is a morals clause, like and and so players are, are voters are allowed to take into consideration things outside of the game or outside of what happens between the lines. The AP doesn't have any guidelines that require voters to uh, vote strictly on on-field performance. So basically, uh, they can do whatever they want. Look, look, uh, Terrell Owens did not make the Hall of Fame for several years because of his the perception of him as a person and and a uh, what kind of a teammate he was and what kind of a presence he was in a locker room that he was a he was one of those locker room cancers kept him out of the Hall of Fame. Look. There's never going to be a perfect look. There's never going to be a perfect way. Do I think, for instance, that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds belong in the Hall of Fame? The answer is yes. Are there allegations of them cheating and and you know with the PED? Yes. Do we uh, do we know for sure? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Like I said, Roger Clemens never failed a drug test. David Ortiz, you talk all you want. He never failed a drug test. He was, you know, on that uh, original Mitchell report. But then the, the commissioner, by the way, and I, this is, you know, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth when I said, well, Rob Manfred came out and said, hey, there were false positives in there, and we shouldn't take that into consideration when it comes to David Ortiz. 
We know A-Rod did it. You know, there, so there are guys, but but at the end of the day, we know there are guys in the Hall of Fame now that use performance-enhancing drugs. So how can we say a guy like Mike Piazza, who has been rumored for years to be a PED user? And again, a lot of these guys, look, there was no formal testing in place. We didn't have that when some of these guys that are rumored to have used it and some people we know used it um you know that that there was no testing in place so how do we how do we use 2021 standards to people that played in the 90s before there was testing that's the you know and before even the early 2000s when there was testing that's the question that i have so should it be just an on-field performance and you know look uh if some look, if somebody's a murderer, okay, I, I get that. If somebody's a wife beater, and there's an, a way for them in, with the morals clause to keep them out of the Hall of Fame, I get that. But at the same time, you have people in the Hall of Fame now in baseball that were racists, that were wife beaters, that were alcoholics. You know, we don't have. It's not the Hall of of saintliness. It's the hall of hey, you were a great baseball player. That's the problem, you know. We're and and it's the same thing here with football. Look, is Aaron Rodgers a jerk? Yeah, he's an idiot. The whole COVID thing. I don't even care about the off-season stuff. That's just drama that's created a lot by the media and the agents and everything. But is he an idiot? Yes, but is the is he the MVP of the league? I think there's a good chance that he is. Now, Cooper Cubs is a hell of a player. You can make a case for him. You can make a case for Jonathan Taylor. I don't think so much for Tom Brady, uh, but this year, but Jonathan Taylor, absolutely, with what he's done and 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 almost single handedly uh, carrying the Indianapolis Colts to the playoffs. Yes. Um, you know, I think that Cooper Cup. Might be the MVP of the league. Some of the things that he has done for the Rams have been ridiculous. But to say that you're not going to vote for Aaron Rodgers because he's a jerk, you know, I, I get it. But at the end of the day, aren't you then diminishing what the award is if if, if there's no avenue, if the voting guidelines – don't specifically say, hey, you take, in, take character into consideration. I don't see how you can do this if you're Hub Arkush. There's a little bit more gray area, and I give, I give baseball writers more leeway because there is that perception of, uh, or that, uh, that thing about morals in the Baseball Writers Association. I get that. And, you know, that is the thing that people are hanging on to. But again, I you know, even with that, as I said, it's kind of disingenuous when you already have guys, you know, uh, guys like uh, Ty Cobb, uh, who was an avowed racist, uh, you know, in the Hall of Fame, a guy that you know was just a nasty son of a bitch, you know. And there are many examples, but you know, people talk. You know, I'm not going to get into names, but guys that were just flat out racist and just flat-out bad people, and they're in the Hall of Fame. So to want to use a, a morals clause now when we have guys in the Hall of Fame that, you know, and look, uh, Ty Cobb, one of the greatest hitters ever, but also probably one of the biggest jerks ever, 
and maybe one of the dirtiest players ever, is in the Hall of Fame. And yet at the same time, you're going to tell me that Roger Clemens shouldn't be in. All Roger Clemens did was try to, you know, win. And he did a lot. And Roger Clemens, whether you think he did PEDs or not, and whether you, you can you can and same thing with Barry Bonds, you can look at, hey, well look, the body type changed. You know, his he he swelled up, you know, it's like he swallowed another person. I get all that. Here's the deal. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens were gonna be Hall of Famers, probably even A Rod, as much as I can't stand the guy, were probably gonna be Hall of Famers before the PEDs. Matter of fact, I guarantee you that they were both gonna be because before the body changes took place, they were doing remarkable things. So they were Hall of Famers anyway. But, you know, again, it's football, baseball. There are two different sports. There's two different voting guidelines. But at the end of the day, if you're gonna, if a, even if a guy's a jerk, if he's the best player on the field, and look, what Aaron Rodgers has done this year is remarkable. What's he thrown? Four interceptions all season, and two of those were in game number one? They're the number one seed in the NFC. How is he not the MVP? Uh, and and here's the other part of this. If you're Har- Herb Arkush or Hub Arkush, shut up. Because all you're doing here, it's a grab for attention. Right? I mean, nobody, I, nobody probably ever heard of this guy before uh, unless you read uh, some of his articles. You know, if you're not from his area, you're not, you're not even, you know, you don't even know who he is. You couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I couldn't. This is just a cry for attention. If you don't want to vote for him, okay. But why do you? Why do you have to make a big deal out of it and and uh, and talk about it? Just shut up. Yeah, just shut up. Do I think Aaron Rodgers is a jerk? Absolutely. But there, there was no there was no reason for this story. There really wasn't. And for Herb Arkush to make that kind or Hub Arkush, I keep calling him Herb. Uh, to make this kind of a statement is just, you know, just, hey, look at me. Look at me. 31 minutes past the hour. Going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. Uh, So as part of our uh, COVID update for the day, uh, Duke, the number two Duke men's basketball team back in action yesterday. They had been out uh, for nearly two weeks because of uh, an outbreak of COVID-19. Well, they came back yesterday. They played against Georgia Tech. It wasn't pretty, uh, but Duke comes up with the victory. Um, they had to struggle. No question about that. They win 69-57. You say, well, 12-point win. But, you know, this was a game that Duke led by 15 points. Uh, a couple of times in the last four or five minutes, Georgia Tech cut it to six. This just was not um, was not pretty. And, and look, Mike Krzyzewski said that he went in, he could tell at halftime his team was gassed. You know, you got two weeks off. And, look, there's a difference. I mean, you know, they had to take time off. They come back. They practice for four or five days. There's a big difference between practice and game action and, uh, you know, just expend more energy. And uh, he said, look, you know, he said, I know you guys are tired. But he said, you can't tire on the defensive end. So basically saying, look, I know you're tired, but here's the deal. If you want to take a rest, take it on the offensive end, play defense. And they did. They held Georgia Tech to just 33% shooting from the floor. And they end up winning it by 12. Uh, uh, Paulo Benchero, another great game. 17 points, 11 rebounds. 
Uh, Duke didn't shoot well either. I mean, they were 37% from the field, but uh, they dominated the glass, uh, got a bunch of second-chance points. Mark Williams with 10 points, 14 rebounds as well. Uh, so a good good win for Duke, no question. Uh, after two weeks off, <coughs> excuse me, any, any win is a good win. Um, and their next game is against Miami um, on Saturday, so they've got a few more days to kind of try to get back into shape. It uh, doesn't get easier for Georgia Tech. They have uh, Notre Dame on Saturday. And look, Mike Krzyzewski, the other point that he made, and, and it's not just for Duke. This is going to be for any team. Uh, up in the Northeast, UConn, both men and women have been struggling uh, with the COVID outbreak. And he said what they have to guard against. He said, look, we got to get back in a game shape. He said, but we, what we can't do, he called it binge conditioning. And he said, you know, what happens is, is, you know, guys will go into the gym and try to get extra work in and push themselves too hard. And then they end up getting hurt because they've expended too much. He said, look, we just got to get back into our regular rhythm, our regular practice routine, doing the things out of practice, the lifting weights, all the other things that you do, you know, and watching what you eat, those kind of things, to get into shape. Because I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure dietary habits changed a lot too when you're uh, when you're not practicing regularly. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but he said we can't binge condition, and and that's a good uh, that's a good lesson for everybody. And I'm sure other coaches probably uh, have said something similar. So a good win for Duke. Uh, that'll keep them uh, in the number two position unless they stumble, which I don't expect against Miami. Top-ranked Baylor. Uh, they are a uh, runaway train right now. They win their 20th straight game last night. Now, the 20 games dates back to uh, uh, last season, but a uh, 84-74 win last night over Oklahoma. And by the way, that was a very good Oklahoma team. Uh, Oklahoma came into that one 11 and two, and uh, they got back within five in the final minute. But uh, Oklahoma, or excuse me, uh, Baylor did a great job down the stretch. They made seven of their eight free throws in the final 40 seconds to put this one away. Uh, and uh, it wasn't again not a pretty game. They win the 20th game, which is great. But Baylor turned the ball over 20 times in this game. Uh, their two guards, their starting guards, Adam Flagler uh, and James uh, Akinjo, accounted for 12 of those 20 uh, turnovers. And, and look, Akinjo, 27 points, uh, five assists, but he also had the seven turnovers. And you, you never want to have a, you never want to look on your stat sheet and see more turnovers than assists in a game, especially if you're a guard. Uh, so he struggled, and Flagler had uh, 22 points, but he also had five turnovers. So. Again, not smooth, but uh, if you are Baylor, uh, you'll take it. Uh, and uh, for Oklahoma, it's just the second time they've actually played a, a real road game. So, uh, but again, a pretty good team, but it's not going to get easier. They have play another top 25 opponent on Saturday. They have number 11, Iowa State. Uh, and Baylor, um, with an easy game coming up on uh, Saturday, they get to play TCU so that uh, – that stretch of uh, dominance will continue. So a, a good win for the number one and number two teams last night. I want to shift gears for just a second uh, from the college game uh, to high school. <laughs> and you're going to say, why Why are we going to talk about high school basketball? Well, in my uh, old state up in Connecticut, 
a girls' high school basketball game on Monday night. To say it got out of hand would be the understatement of the century. Ladies and gentlemen, the final score of this game, it was Sacred Heart Academy of Hamden beating Lyman Hall from Wallingford. The final score was 92-4. to four. 92-4. to four. As a result of that, yesterday, uh, Sacred Heart suspended their coach one game. Uh, coach Jason Kirk got suspended for a game because of the result. And the, uh, the school president, Sister Sheila O'Neill, uh, issued a statement of remorse and said, look, uh, uh, Sacred Heart Academy values the lessons taught and cultivated through athletic participation, including ethical and responsible behavior, leadership, and strength of character, and respect for one's opponents. And that is the key word there. Uh, and she said, last night's game versus Lyman Hall's school does not align with our values or philosophies. Uh, this was an absolutely necessary move. And if you are Jason Kirk, you take your medicine, you shut the hell up, because you are lucky that you still have a job. I'm going to tell you right now, if I had been the athletic director at Sacred Heart Academy in Hamden, I might have fired Jason Kirk as soon as the game was over. Now, there look, Sacred Heart is considered one of the best teams in the state of Connecticut. But there is no excuse for beating a team like this. There are ways to ensure that that never happens. Um, and here is why he got suspended, and here's why he probably should get fired. Look, it was 56 to nothing at halftime. They pressed full-court press for most of the first half. And then after they called off the press, they continued to play tight man-to-man defense to try to get steals. They fast-braked the game. They fast-braked every opportunity right to the end of the game. They never played zone defense. They ran the ball up the court. They shot threes whenever they could. They just drilled. Lyman Hall, for no reason. You don't, you just, I don't care what sport it is, you don't humiliate another team like that. So this guy is lucky to have a job. And if it were up to me, he wouldn't have a job. Period. Unbelievable. I, look, I went, when I was in college, college basketball game, at, uh, I was at Franklin Pierce. We were playing uh, New England College from, uh, Henniker, Henniker, New Hampshire? I can't, I think it's Henniker, New Hampshire. And we beat them 132 to 47, which was just brutal. I'll never forget it. But I also know that our coach 
Bruce, Bruce Kirsch, did everything that he could to make sure that the score didn't get worse. There were no fast breaks. It was strictly zone defense. At one point, I remember him saying in the huddle, we're not taking a shot inside 25 feet. So guys were just bombing. It was just one of those games where, look, New England College was bad. Franklin Pierce was very good, went to the NAIA tournament that year. Uh, you know, we had some great players. My, my former roommate, Larry Leach, uh, uh, Jeff Stevenson, we had uh, Greg Trotman. We had a great team. But Bruce did everything he could to try to keep the score down. This guy, Jason Kirk, you don't press for an entire half when a team hasn't scored a point. You don't fast break in the fourth quarter. And he could say, well, I didn't have my starters in the game. I don't care. You don't fast break. You just tell your girls, walk the ball up the floor. Play zone defense. Play a loose zone defense. Let the other team shoot the ball. Anything. You, I mean, it's just there's no call for humiliating an opponent that way. So uh, to say they showed no mercy is – as the headline was this morning, Dom Amori reported this in the Hartford Current. I, I read it this morning. Just I couldn't believe it. And they have a rule, by the way, uh, in high school football. They call it the Cochran rule. Uh, Jack Cochran, who was a longtime coach um, and uh, was renowned for running up the score in high school games, uh, they have a rule in uh, high school football where it's basically a mercy rule. They have running time. Once a team is ahead um, by a certain point, there's running time in a football game. But there's nothing like that in basketball. There's a mercy rule in baseball and softball. We've, we all know that, you know, where if a team is ahead by a certain number of runs, depending on the league, that the game ends early. It can gain, end after five innings if you're crushing a team. They don't have that in basketball. I'm not saying that they should. Maybe they should have running time, but it shouldn't be necessary. You should have coaches that have – the uh, character to know that you don't humiliate other teams like that. Absolutely brutal. And, uh, look, I don't, I, I'm not going to say anything like I, like I wish that, that that team never wins another game because that's not fair to the kids. You know, I'm sure the girls on, uh, uh, on Sacred Heart, you know, are great girls. And I'm sure there have to be some of those girls that did not think what they were doing was the right thing. But, you know, as a 14-year-old girl or a 15-year-old girl, you're not going to go up to your adult coach and say, Coach, we really need to stop doing this. You know, uh, you're taught, you know, when you're in high school, you listen to your coach. So I don't blame the girls. This is all on Jason Kirk and shame on him. 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning. So one of the, I guess, kind of one of the good things of moving down here to North Carolina is I can kind of maybe find a hockey team to root for. Um, I have not had a, uh, I have not had a favorite team since the Hartford Whalers left Hartford many years ago, um, and I refuse to root for the Carolina Hurricanes where Hartford went just be out of principle because of what uh, David Carmanos did by taking the team. Uh, out of Hartford. So I haven't had a team. So now that I am down here in southwestern North Carolina, 
Uh, and I am on the Georgia-Tennessee line right in that corner down there, and I'm only about four hours from Nashville. I have now decided that the Nashville Predators are going to be my hockey team. And, look, I love the game. I love the sport of hockey. Love it. Um, and, you know, I watch the Bruins pretty faithfully up north, but I, I have a hard time rooting for the Bruins. Uh, I really do. You know, it's it's it, it's a throwback, I guess, to my uh, to my Whaler days. It's It would be kind of like, you know, uh, me moving uh, – uh, to New York and suddenly rooting for the Yankees, just not going to happen. Uh, so, uh, but so I have a hard time rooting for the Bruins. Uh, I, again, I still follow them, but but I think the Predators are now going to be my team. They're four hours away. This, you know, it's my wife and I are going to be making a few trips a year to Nashville to uh, go to the Grand Old Opry and kind of take in the country music scene out there. And I'm going to take in some Predator games as well. And the Predators last night, uh, a solid win. They beat Vegas three to two. Uh, Philip Forsberg with a couple of goals. Uh, Juice Suarez, 41 saves, and uh, now the Predators, and I get a little, little bandwagon jumping for me. I'm, the Predators are my team. Well, yeah, they're in first place in the Central Division. Great time to start rooting for them, Gino. Uh, but uh, they are 9-1-1 one, one in their last 11 games. And I'll tell you what, that um, that is even more impressive. They're 2-1-1 one, one, um, in their last four and it's even more impressive, I say, because they had a forced break. They were another one of those teams that had to deal uh, with the COVID outbreak. They had four games uh, that were postponed. So and they're going to have a pretty heavy schedule coming down later on to try to make those games up. Uh, but the fact that they have continued to play well uh, since that COVID break is huge. Uh, look, Vegas has been pretty hot, too. They were... Uh, they were 10-2-1 coming into that game last night, but they now lost two in a row. They lost to Winnipeg on Sunday. But uh, Vegas is still tops in the Pacific Division and the Western Conference with 45 points. So um, a couple of powerhouse teams yesterday, and uh, the Predators come away with the victory uh, by a final of 3-2. Nashville will play against the uh, the Kings in Los Angeles coming up on Thursday. And uh, Vegas will host the, Los Ange- uh, the uh, New York Rangers, I'm sorry, uh, the New York Rangers on Thursday. Rangers are hot right now. Uh, uh, they have won uh, two straight games. They uh, a big win the other night, uh, and then they won a game in uh, overtime. Uh, I believe it was on Monday. So uh, they have won their last two. So that'll be a, a tough test for Vegas as well. As for the Bruins, the Bruins get a win last night. They beat the New Jersey Devils five to three. David Pasternak. The tie-breaking goal with 5.49 left in the third period. It was the first goal for Pasternak since November 30th. Look, this is a guy who was one of the top goal scorers in the league last year, and he couldn't buy one. It was so bad that Bruce Cassidy took him off the first line. Uh, they mixed up the lines. He was, of course, always on that line with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. Uh, they took him off that, and they uh, they mixed up the lines, and uh, uh, his two new teammates both got assists on his goal. So uh, good to see him do that last night. Also a, a big night uh, for Oscar Steen. Oscar Steen just got called up from uh, AHL Providence on Saturday, and uh, he's been pretty good. Uh, three assists in four games. Well, last night he scored his first career goal. It came in the second period, and it was a nifty one too. The puck had ended up on the top of the net. And uh, he popped. He reached his, his stick inside the net, popped the puck up in the air, and it went off the shoulder of the goaltender and fell into the net. So he gets his first uh, NHL, NHL goal on that one. Uh, the Bruins will play again tomorrow night. They will host the Minnesota Wild. 
uh, for another home game coming up on Thursday. Uh, some baseball news. Uh, Joey Cora, brother of Red Sox manager Alex Cora, is going to be the new third base coach for the New York Mets. Uh, he is the first hire uh, for new Mets manager Buck Showalter. Uh, Joey Cora was the uh, third base coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, for five years, and he got let go at the end of last season. Uh, so he will join Buck Showalter. Cora, 56 years old. He is the older brother uh, of Alice Cora. Of course, a nice career, 11 years in major leagues. He was in, made an all-star team late in his career. Uh, and then ended up in uh, uh, as a coach. Uh, he was on Ozzie Guillen's staff uh, with the Chicago White Sox for uh, eight years. So he's got plenty of experience. He replaces Gary DeSarcina, who was let go, uh, of course, when Luis Rojas was let go at the end of the season. So Joey Cora, the new third base coach for the New York Mets. And Cameron Mabin announced his retirement yesterday after 15 seasons. Uh, 34 years old. Uh, played for the Mets a little bit last year, uh, ended up in AAA Syracuse, um, and uh, didn't really appear in the major leagues after that. Um, 254 career batting average, 72 homers, and 354 runs batted in for the Tigers. He also played for Florida, San Diego, Atlanta, the Angels, Houston, Seattle. He made the rounds. Played for the Yankees, the Cubs, the Mets. It's unbelievable. Uh, he did win a World Series title with the Astros in 2017, that rather disputed World Series title. Uh, he had a single off uh, Brandon McCarthy leading off the 11th inning of Game 2 uh, and uh, stole second uh, and uh, then scored on George Springer's tie-breaking two-run homer in the 7-6 win. Uh, and his only postseason home run, though, came for the Yankees in the 2019 AL Division Series uh, against uh, Minnesota. So Cameron Mabern. Uh, hangs it up, of course, just last week. Um, Kyle Seeger, the third baseman from the Seattle Mariners, also hanging up. And, you know, and you wonder, you know, I mean, I know Mabin ended up in the minors last year, but Kyle Seeger hit 35 home runs last year for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, didn't look like he was close to done. And he was about the same age, 34 years old. You wonder if, you know, the whole coronavirus thing has made people think twice about, you know, how long they want to play. You know, uh, it could be. It could be. Um, last thing I have for you this morning, how about this? Uh, and being the history geek that I am, uh, first woman to ever command the USS Constitution, uh, Billy Farrell is going to assume command of the Constitution on uh, January 21st. Uh, the USS Constitution, for those of you that don't know, is known as Old Ironsides. It is the oldest active duty warship in the uh, U.S. Navy. It has been on active duty for 224 years. It was built during the Revolutionary War. Uh, it's uh, it's in Boston Harbor. If you have never been there and you're up in the Northeast, you should really go. It is very cool. Uh, it's it's actually in the Charlestown Navy Yard. And uh, it, it look, it was... In the Barbary Wars, in the War of 1812, uh, it was undefeated in battle. It destroyed or captured 33 opposing vessels. And uh, it got the nickname Old Ironsides, by the way, uh, in the War of 1812 when British cannonballs actually bounced off the hull. And they say that, by the way, that's due to it's made out of uh, live oak trees 
from Georgia, and it's something about supposedly the uh, the live oaks that it was made from uh, that give it that property, and uh, so they just bounced off. And but um, so Billy Farrell would become the first woman uh, to uh, lead the USS Constitution. Right now, by the way, that's manned by all active duty soldiers. So it's, this isn't like some some joke. I mean, everybody who is on that ship, it's got a crew, I believe, of eighty, and uh, it's all active duty Navy sailors. And one third of the crew right now is women, including now the commander. Uh, Billy J. Farrell. So congratulations, and that is your uh, your history lesson for today. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you with some music from Blake Shelton this morning, Minimum Wage. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.